Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. This podcast was recorded in November 2018. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. I'm Caroline Pudner and today I've ventured out of my usual studio at Cornerstones HQ and have come to the city of Sheffield to meet Professor Sam Twizelton, OBE, who is Director of the Institute of Education at Sheffield Hallam University. Good morning, Professor. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today and inviting me into your fantastic offices. Very exciting. And it's a rather misty morning out there, very autumnal. Um, Now, for me personally, it does bring Mm. back lots of memories of doing my PGCE (laughs) at Sheffield, but I wasn't in this building. This is quite new isn't it is it? yeah it's only been open a couple of years yeah. it's fantastic so you do your lectures in here and uh, mostly yeah we, you know we use the rest of the university as well but we try and do as much as we can yeah. here because it's such a fantastic building it is yeah. it's wonderful it's right in the center yeah. as well now regular listeners will know we've been discussing all things curriculum recently given the recent and very significant work done by Ofsted in this area we've been exploring the issues around curriculum design and implementation so I'm really thrilled to be here with Sam to continue our curriculum conversation with her and she's been a member of Ofsted's curriculum group and at the forefront of teacher training in the UK In a moment, I'll be asking Sam for her thoughts on what makes a successful curriculum and the role a primary curriculum plays in equipping children with skills for the future. But before that, um, Sam, I wonder if I could begin by asking you to describe what your role is here at Sheffield Hallam University for our listeners. Well, it's the best job in the world is the first thing to say about it. So I I was appointed as the founding director of Sheffield Institute of Education, which means it was my job initially to kind of set it up. And all all that means is it was bringing pre-existing bits of the university together into a single place, now an actual building. Mm. When I first arrived, this was actually a car park, so um, that happened kind of a couple of years ago. So it brings together a a significant proportion of the institute, which is uh, teacher training, so the, the Department of Teacher Education, where we do all the different kinds of routes of teacher training that exist, so PGCE, undergraduate, Teach First, School Direct, SKIT, Post 16, etc., We also have a big department of other kinds of education courses, like education studies, we have the Autism Centre, we have TESOL in there. And then we also have a research and uh, what we call Knowledge Exchange Centre, where we do a lot of commissioned research, a lot of regulated research, across a whole broad range of things to do with education. And the point of the Institute really was to take those three separate things and kind of join them together to create this fantastic rich mix of different types of expertise and to kind of point it outwards in a way that we now work very, very strongly in partnership with lots of different organisations, a lot of schools, multi-academy trusts, teaching school alliances and so on, as well as the kind of people who commission research and CPD from us. And it's, as I said, it's a brilliant job because you're working with these fantastic people both in the university and all the people that we work with out there in the kind of field. And it gives me a huge variety of different experiences, like being on the Ofsted group. Uh, also get involved in a lot of kind of policy uh, influencing kind of things, sit on a lot of DFE groups and so mm. on. 
literally this building is is like a hub isn't yeah, it yeah yeah which you can feel as you walk in mm. actually the students here there mm. are professionals which is something that maybe wasn't the case when I did my PGCE back in the mm. late 90s so that's fantastic mm. to see Sheffield as a as a center for mm. for something like this as well I think I'm quite interested in what your route was as a director. You've obviously been a teacher. Um, so how did you come to being uh, in this role? <laughs> it's a fairly random journey, really. I mean, I'm sure there is some logic to it, but it, looking back, it's not always easy to see. So, yeah, I started, obviously did what a lot of people do, did a degree and then a PGCE, and then went straight into teaching in various different primary schools. Loved being a primary school teacher, um, really enjoyed the variety of experiences that you get when you're covering a kind of broad and balanced curriculum as you had to. Then I stopped and and basically had children Mm. (laughs) and at that point it wasn't a straightforward easy thing to do to do part-time work in a primary school. So it it was as basic a reason as that as to why I then stopped being a primary school teacher and actually my first job in higher education was as a research fellow researching the very early version of teaching assistance courses and it was simply because it was more flexible and I could do it part-time and that worked well with having small babies but actually I ended up really loving that work Mm. Um, and so from that I went into various different kind of lecturing roles involved in initial teacher education specialised in primary English because that was the thing I always felt kind of most satisfaction in teaching in school And then from that went into kind of a series of different leadership roles. So the first leadership role was being in charge of the primary PGCE, uh, what was then St Martin's College in Lancaster, which later became University of Cumbria. And I became associate dean there and then eventually executive dean. And that was the most recent role I did at University of Cumbria before coming here just over five years ago to take up the role I'm doing now. Mm. Right, well, that's such a journey. (laughs) And I understand that a lot of our listeners who maybe have left teaching to have children there's a lot talked about that in the press actually at the moment about part-time and supporting part-time teachers so uh, but back then yes very difficult and some people still find it difficult yeah I mean it's interesting one of the groups I sit on currently is the DfE's teacher recruitment and retention group and that is again group of sort of expert people who who advise the DfE on the recruitment and retention strategy that they're currently developing and it's really interesting to see in that strategy they have picked up some case studies of schools who have just got a lot better at making it more straightforward for people to work part-time just in the way that they timetable the curriculum and how they sort of staff it mm. um, it doesn't have to be as difficult as it, as it was and as, as you say it still is for some people yeah. it's you know it's, it's great if schools are going to do that because I actually was a better teacher as a result of having children and I felt, you know, I did go back into the classroom and do teaching from time to time in in my university role and, you know, you gain so much insight from your own children. It's a shame if that expertise is being lost to the profession. Mm. So the more we can do to to, to bring those people back in a way that sort of still fits in with their need to juggle, you know, domestic commitments with professional ones, the better. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, you'd mentioned in that that you um, enjoy teaching a broad and balanced curriculum. Yeah. Now, listeners will know, obviously, that's a, a massive topic in curriculum design yeah. at the moment, is making sure your curriculum is broad and balanced. What does that mean to you, then, when you look at a curriculum or yeah. when you're teaching a curriculum? What are you looking for? I think it's actually quite a challenge, particularly for primary schools, um, because broad and balanced, if you're not careful, can mean superficial 
and fragmented. And if I'm honest, when I very first joined the teaching profession, it was just before the national curriculum came in. And topic work was the sort of the, the in thing for primary schools at that point. And it was a very random way of planning a curriculum, if I'm honest. It sounded great in theory, but in practice, it meant that you picked a, a random topic and then you tried to kind of make it fit in with the different subjects of the curriculum in often very tenuous ways. So broad and balanced, to me, isn't that. It's thinking really carefully about the concepts and skills that you need the children of the age that you're teaching them and the stage of development they're at. So you do need to know quite a lot about their kind of conceptual development and, and what, what's right for them at that point and how you make a meaningful series of connections across the different areas of the curriculum. And this is hard for primary school teachers because you can't have in-depth knowledge of everything. So this is why it's important. It's a whole school activity with a range of different subject expertise kind of contributing so that there is a whole school big picture view on how you make meaningful experiences for children over sustained periods of time and then how each different class teacher can then contribute their bit of that jigsaw. Yeah and I've seen mm. through my work mm. at Cornerstones schools who've done that in very creative ways they've they've used expertise mm. of their staff they've even grouped children in different ways yeah. at primary school you know being innovative to maximize on on expertise and, and knowledge in the staff to ensure that that links are very you know that subject knowledge yes. is, is developed well and that subject to subject links exactly. are made meaningful authentic yeah. you know uh, rather than as you say tenuous yeah. So just going back to, you mentioned you were, you were on the curriculum group for Ofsted yeah. and we've recently summarised Amanda Spielman's findings from that group mm. and I, I know you weren't actively involved with the research of that mm. but you were on the curriculum and still are on yeah. the curriculum group. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's a, it's a group that's been meeting regularly for about 18 months now and uh, the next meeting is, is about to happen and they get us together. It's a range of different people who've got a sort of expertise in curriculum to look at the sort of latest stage of their research and to work out what we think the implications for that should be for how they develop their new Ofsted framework. So obviously we're now at the point where that framework is coming into being. So I expect the next meeting to be really interesting because there is a genuine intent in that group and in the work of Ofsted to put the curriculum and the curriculum design in every school sort of front and centre into how leadership teams and, well, in fact, the whole workforce of a school are thinking about how they organise children's learning in the most effective, the most meaningful way that's going to really develop knowledge over time and skills over time. And I hope it could really change the narrative, really, in terms of not just how the inspection process works, but actually how schools think about what they're doing and, and put the, you know, a lot more importance than maybe they felt they've been able to do previously on the on that design of learning experiences rather than having to be constantly obsessed with data and student outcomes which of course student outcomes ultimately mm. are what we're here for but i think if you get the uh, the learning experiences designed in the right way and uh, assessed in the right way then actually the outcomes will follow so it's changing the narrative and putting the emphasis where it should be which is a, a, on a kind of deep understanding of children's learning over time and how a school can best in its context um, develop that. Mm, so it's it's giving schools time now isn't it to reflect on yes. the curriculum that they've already got in place but also as you said earlier that 
them as a school, as a community, as a group of yes. people and experts and the, the needs of the children and to craft yeah. a curriculum that has been designed for that school and its setting and its children. And uh, it sounds like there has been some very good work done. And, you know, obviously we're all waiting to see what the new <laughs> framework is going to be, but there are strong indicators already about um, advice for schools in terms yeah. of looking at intent and in implementation yes. and, and the impact. Through the work of that group and the research uh, of the curriculum study, Amanda Spillman recently described three different types of curriculum the knowledge-led, the skills-led, and the knowledge-engaged curriculum. Sam, why do you think both skills and knowledge are important? There's a huge amount of debate. There's some people very, very strongly on the knowledge side, mm. some people on the skills. Mm. I suppose we at Cornerstones believe mm. in both together because you, you can't apply one without the other. But what, what's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I get kind of frustrated. Education, particularly education as seen on social media, um, does have a habit of kind of polarizing things and, and, and creating sort of false separations. And uh, I do worry that knowledge knowledge versus skills, which is often how that, that bit of it is polarized, is, is really misleading. Knowledge is absolutely important, as so you can sort of hear from what I said earlier about um, the design of the curriculum. But knowledge is created through application, mm. <laughs> and that's where skills come in. And the idea that you can separate them out is quite dangerous, I think. And the idea that, that knowledge is sort of something that can be kind of carried around in buckets and yeah. just shoved at, ch at children without their ability for them to sort of manipulate the knowledge, apply it in different contexts, make links between different subjects, make links with their learning inside the classroom to outside of the classroom is misleading and dangerous. And so I rather, you know, I have a lot of respect for the work of Ofsted. Um, I personally wouldn't want to assign those particular kinds of labels. I hear what Amanda is, is trying to indicate there, which there is a danger that you can end up with a curriculum um, where if you're putting the emphasis on skills in a generic sense, the knowledge has not been kind of privileged and thought about enough. But actually the idea that you can separate out skills from knowledge, for me, is just quite misleading, mm. quite dangerous to kind of go down that route. Mm. So... In terms of skills, when we're thinking of children, obviously they're, they're learning knowledge mm. and in an ideal mm. curriculum they're getting mm. that breadth of knowledge mm. as well as learning and developing their own skills. Mm. Now you've got a, a good overview, uh, having worked with mm. you know students in further and higher education mm. as well as being involved in primary education. How important do you think the primary curriculum is in equipping children with skills that they'll need for the future, maybe their future education, but also the unknown future, mm. the, the, the world of work where we're not even sure what jobs will be mm. around in the future. Well, I think that links to the point I was just making about the importance of application, really, mm. because you know what makes somebody effective either as a as a learner in school or as somebody succeeding in the school system or in further and higher education or in life it's their ability to transfer their knowledge into multiple contexts and adapt it and make it relevant to to what is needed in that that particular time and so that doesn't that involves a lot of the soft skills in terms of communication and confidence and so on and i think actually primary schools are very good at developing those skills um, so leading on from that a lot has been spoken about how a wide curriculum access can help you know widen social mobility and access to mm -hmm. learning and knowledge, for, particularly for mm -hmm. children from disadvantaged backgrounds. 
What role can a curriculum play, in your opinion, and what do children need to experience at Mm. primary level in order to do that? So I think, again, it it follows on from what I was just saying, really, about the importance of being able to apply knowledge in multiple contexts, Mm. and the richer and broader and more diverse those contexts are, um, the more meaningfully applied that knowledge will become and then more chances are that it will stick and those skills will continue to develop. So a local example here, something that we're currently uh, working on, is an organisation called Create Sheffield, which is all the creative industries in Sheffield working together with schools to try and create a kind of guarantee that during their period in formal schooling, so from starting to finishing, all Sheffield children will have 80 creative experiences and that could involve the obvious things like going to the theatre but will involve a whole load of different things artists in residences coming into school um, having all kinds of different cultural visits and so on and the point of that you know the reason why I'm so excited about it is it's just going to broaden the horizons for these children it's going to help them to see that something that they're learning in the classroom has an application to something creative that's happening outside the classroom so it's back to what I was saying earlier on you know we are equipping them for life we're equipping them for a process of learning that will make them successfully academically in the formal bit of education but actually to me just as important that they're then able to see the relevance of the knowledge that they're developing to the world outside and having their eyes opened to the opportunities that that brings Uh, and that's you know for me that's what social mobility is, is all about it's not about literally being mobile as in moving out of Doncaster down to London, which is unfortunately how it sometimes appears. It, it's about recognising the opportunity that's in, in your local environment and that the skills and knowledge that you have developed in school can, can open up those opportunities to you in a way that stops you from being sort of trapped in a sort of kind of narrow set of experiences. Yeah, and I think that's obviously a local example of that. And and also in a deeper level, it's giving children that that glimmer of hope that, that actually, yeah, I can do this. I can, yes, maybe absolutely. Maybe I can have a go at that. Yeah, this can be for me. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. like you say, not to be, feel trapped and hemmed yes. in and that their destiny is written for them. It's, absolutely. It is about widening. Yeah. And so it's great to hear things that are happening here but also how a curriculum can help widen that yes. and make it open the world up to children absolutely yeah now in your uh, role here overseeing teacher training yeah. at Sheffield Hallam what impact do you think Ofsted's current work on mm. the curriculum will have on the content of teacher training mm. um, I, I hope it will be positive I think it will support us in what we're trying to do already in that it will encourage the schools who are partners in in our teacher training with us to give our students more opportunities maybe than they have had in the recent past to get on the inside of curriculum design in school as part of their training so we will equip them with the sort of basic skills and understanding in the university but really you know it's the application of that in their school experiences when they're on placement um, there has been sometimes in the recent past a bit of a tendency for students to go into school and being kind of given very detailed plans uh, and just asked to deliver them and what I hope the new Ofsted kind of emphasis will do will be to encourage schools to help the students get on the inside of how those plans were constructed and to have some input into them so that there's the ability for them to kind of adapt them and understand the connection between you know how the intent of the curriculum is then sort of flexed to the needs of individual children as they kind of unfold so it's 
uh, you know, it's, for me, it's a positive thing. It will help us to do what we're already trying to do in a way that I think schools will understand the importance of our students getting that experience. Uh, and that will also, in its turn, then make them into newly qualified teachers who have more confidence in curriculum design, you know, when they have to come to do it for themselves as a, as a qualified teacher. And, and obviously as they grow through their career, Absolutely. they are the senior leaders exactly. of the future. Yeah. So to have those curriculum design skills is, is, yes. is essential if this is going to be implemented yeah. nationwide, isn't yes, it? exactly. So obviously you can follow Sam on Twitter and find out more about Sheffield Hallam or you can go onto the website <laughs> to find out about the teacher training courses if you're listening to this and you want to become a teacher or you're a newly qualified teacher for a bit more information about that now finally i wondered if i could ask you there are some superb examples across the uk of schools who have a rich and engaging impactful curriculum already but they may still want to make changes to that or there may be a school who is just starting out to redesign Mm. their curriculum what advice would you give them you know what what should they be thinking about now I think my own personal research has shown that it's really important that when you're constructing learning experiences, whether you're talking about whole school curriculum or whether you're talking about an individual lesson plan, is that you're able to have a kind of big picture view on what it is you're trying to achieve. And it links to what we were saying earlier. So that you're thinking about the kind of knowledge, the kind of skills that you want these children to have ultimately throughout their life. So you have that big picture. What am I trying, you know, what is the point of this? Why does it have value? Why does this thing I want these children to learn matter? And then you, you iterate from that big picture down to the tiny detail of how do I make it work in this particular part of the lesson or in this particular part of the subject or this particular part of the week or the term or whatever. In order to do that well, you do need to understand quite a bit about children's development and their conceptual development. And we do put quite an emphasis on that in our initial teacher training here. I think it's very important for primary school. I think it's very important for all teachers, actually, but, but particularly in the primary phase when there is so, you know, the conceptual development is such a fascinating thing and the different stages that children go through in order to think about what is the most appropriate sequence of how we construct this knowledge over time for these children Mm. and the stage of development they're at. And there's obviously lots of work done by Ofsted on guidance for schools at the moment, isn't there, about the the three eyes of curriculum, which we've written about, so you can see that on our website or on Sean Harford's Twitter feed. He he writes about that. So I guess what Ofsted say in terms of intent is what I mean in terms of big picture, really. You know, what is it we're ultimately trying to achieve here? And the story that you want to take those yeah, children on. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so there's more now than there was when I was a mm. teacher on curriculum. Mm. So there's a lot of information out there. So hopefully, if you're a school thinking about redesigning a curriculum, then you've got lots of pointers there. And it's an exciting time it for is. the curriculum. It is. And finally, many congratulations on being appointed as <laughs> external vice president of the Chartered <laughs> College of Teaching. That was a mouthful. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> uh, it's fantastic news. What's the work of the Chartered College, Sam? What, what do they do and what's your role maybe yeah. over the next few months? What are your priorities? Yes. Well, I went to my first council meeting uh, on Saturday, so I'm just kind of getting my head around it all. I mean, the reason why I had stood for election and was really pleased to be elected mm. is I think the teaching profession desperately needs a body like the Chartered College. Chartered College sort of sets itself up to be uh, an informed voice for the profession. 
to also be a, a fantastic source of support and evidence. And if you, if you join the Chartered College, you have access to lots of research, lots of journal articles and so on, mm. which are really helpful, very accessibly presented, so it's not, not you know, like you're having to wade your way through lots of sort of academic tomes. It, it's a fantastic bunch of people who are just so committed to raising the profile of the profession, changing the narrative so that the public are much more aware than they are currently about you know the, the fantastic opportunities, uh, the importance of, of the profession and the many great stories and the many great role models out there who do such a fantastic job you know for their children. So the the particular role I stood for, vice president external, it's the only one I would have applied for to be honest because I think in the main the chartered college should be run by teachers because it's for teachers. But this particular role is about being out there raising the profile of the Charter College, raising the profile of the profession. And as I do a lot of that in my day job anyway, yeah. it just ties in really nicely. And it does give me the opportunity, I think, to get to quite a variety of different kinds of audiences. So it's not just about to schools. Obviously, that's important. We want teachers to join and to be aware of, you know, the, the benefits of joining. But for me, it's really important that, you know, policymakers, that the that, that uh, people who represent parents and families and communities are aware of this body and aware of the importance of teaching. So I do, I feel it fits nicely with the work I was already doing and I'm very excited to make a contribution. Fantastic. And again, the listeners, you can follow the Chartered College on social media. They write mm. blogs as well. Absolutely. I've read, I've read one yeah. recently about knowledge-rich yeah. curriculum. So it's a fantastic mm. group to follow as well and to keep an eye on or to join. You can Definitely. join it as well. Then, Absolutely. Different different ways of joining it. But yeah, it's worth just, have, as you say, having a look really. You can look on the website. You can look at the kinds of things that they're publishing. I recommend following Alison Peacock, the CEO of the Charter College. She is herself such a positive, fantastic role model and a very authoritative voice and, you know, will always cheer you up (laughs) if you have anything to do with her. That's important. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much, Sam, for talking to me about these really important issues. I know our listeners will have been given lots to think about today, so... If you do have any comments or questions, uh, do leave them in the comments section that's on our website, just below the podcast, as we'd love to know what you think about the topics we've discussed today. And until next time, thank you very much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the curriculum so you don't miss a single episode.